Jesus Christ, amen. We thank God for uh, bringing us once again in this fashion um, as we sing um, songs of worship to him and as we uh, hear um, about what God is doing in um, different countries where Christians are being persecuted and as we um, hear God's word. Let me take this time to also welcome our visitors um, who are in our midst. Uh, welcome, Smart, and uh, to our brother Herod as well. <laughs> um, Herod was uh, my lecturer in, in seminary, and um, yeah, so uh, we, we come a long way indeed, and, and, and it's, it's a pleasant surprise uh, for him to, to be here. It's good to see Ndate Piri and then Isaac there at the back. Uh, welcome. Um, all right, so we've been going through the gospel according to Mark, and um, we are now in chapter 12, verse 35 to 37. Let me uh, open your Bibles to um, Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to verse 37, and the title for this morning's sermon is A Question of Identity, A Question of Identity. Let's read from God's word. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read the word of God. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So, how is he his son, and the great throng, the great multitude, heard him gladly. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, our prayer is that you will take your ancient words and impart it on us. Help us to know and honor you. Help us to grow in holiness. Help us to walk with you closer to love you dearer, and to honor you with our lives, to be marked by a passion for the fame of your name. May you be glorified. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought as I declare your word. Amen. Now, in, in our text this morning, we are still on a Tuesday of the Lord's Passion Week. Jesus is making his way to the cross to die for his people. This passage finds Jesus still in the temple teaching the word of God. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees are still looking for a way to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people and the Roman government. Over the past few weeks, we have been considering the questions these men brought to Jesus. Remember how they uh, united together in this unholy unity. Uh, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Herodians, uh, uh, people that are ideologically different and that hated each other, unite because of their hate for Jesus and they come to him. Their questions were designed to trap Jesus and cause him to lose his influence with the people. Regardless of the nature of their questions, Jesus handled them all well. He left his enemies without any ammunition uh, that they could use against him. In this text, the Lord turns the tables on his attackers. 
When he sees them beginning to retreat, Jesus goes now on the attack. He pounces on them. Now he has a question for them. We, we want to consider the question the Lord asked the scribes and the Pharisees. This question get, this question gets to the heart of what they believe about the identity of Jesus. How they answer this question will determine where they will spend eternity. Today we're going to consider, as I said, a question of identity. This question posed by the Lord, uh, uh, all those years ago has much to say to us today even. In, 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 in CBC. This question and its consequences make it of utmost importance. And I want to share a few thoughts that arise out of these verses. I want you to see, first of all, the confrontation, secondly, the implication, and thirdly, the application. As, as, as we go through these, let these verses speak to your heart as we look into the question, this question of identity. First of all, the confrontation. The confrontation. Jesus had encountered every attack his enemies had used against him. He answered their question about paying tribute to Caesar. Remember in chapter 12, verse 13 to 17? He answered their question about the resurrection and the nature of life in heaven. In verse 18 to verse 27, he answered their question about the, which commandment in the law was the greatest of all. In verse 38, 28 to 34, And each time Jesus was asked questions that were designed to make him look foolish in the eyes of the people. Every question they asked was an attempt to prove his ignorance of the word of God. They were trying everything in their power to unmask Jesus and to prove that he was an imposter. After Jesus had answered all their questions and, and put them to shame in the face of the people, in, in verse 34, he had a question now of his own, that he wanted answered. This question was designed to focus the attention on the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the the, the attention of these scribes and the Pharisees on the person of of the Messiah. When Jesus responded to the scribe who asked him uh, uh, the question about the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus complimented the man on his understanding. Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, as you, uh, as a Pharisee and a, a fellow scribe, with the scribe who answered the question, you are probably thinking about this statement that Jesus Christ has made. When Jesus made the statement, every scribe and uh, in the crowd must have thought to themselves, and Pharisee, uh, wait just a minute. I believe everything that uh, that man said. I believe that love for God and for one's fellow man is the greatest demonstration of faith and and obedience possible. What more could I possibly need to be saved? Our Lord's question is designed to address just that concern. He presses the right button. Let's consider the Lord's question for a moment together. Jesus asked them, how can the scribes say that Christ, the Christ is the son of David. You see, every Jew believed that the Messiah or the Christ would be a physical descendant of King David. That they believed that the Christ would be a great military leader who would deliver Israel from those who oppressed them. That they believed that the Christ would be a great king. They, they were right in all that they believed. 
but their belief did not go far enough. When Jesus uses the word Christ, he is implying that the Messiah would be more than a man. The Jews were looking for a human being. Jesus is about to show them that the Messiah would be human, but he will also be God. They were not ready for this truth. So Jesus confronts them about their beliefs concerning the nature and identity of the Messiah. Now, if you think about it, most people in our world are like the scribes and the Pharisees. They believe the Bible stories about Jesus. They love the image of that baby in the manger. You know, that, that, that image. They enjoy reading about him feeding multitudes, healing the sick, preaching sermons, raising the dead and walking on water. They, they even like the story of the cross and the resurrection. But, but most uh, uh, people in our culture cannot grasp the truth that Jesus is more than a baby in a manger or a man who got himself crucified on a cross. They, they cannot seem to grasp the truth that he is God in human flesh. That They cannot get their minds around the truth that he is the only way to God, that he is the only hope of salvation. People will go so far, but they often will not go far enough. Not far enough is a dangerous place to be when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that scribe, some people in this room, as we said last week, are not far from the kingdom. Now, not far is still a long way off. Now, not far still means you are lost. Not far means you will go to hell when you die. Not far is not where you need to stay. You need to come to Jesus Christ and, and, and call on him for salvation. He, he is the only way to God, right? We've been, we've been, we've been um, quoting John 14 verse 6 for this, uh, in, in, for a couple of times. Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one go, can go to the Father except through me. He is the only hope of salvation. He is the only door that leads to life eternal with him. You are saved. Without him, you are lost forever. I see the confrontation. Jesus confronts that, but not only that, we see the implication of that. Jesus confronts this man. He asked them about uh, Psalm 110, verse 1. That verse was acknowledged by all Jews to be a reference of the coming Messiah. Jesus points out that a careful reading of that verse reveals a truth that the Messiah will be more than a man. Notice um, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That the first uh, uh, Lord there in Psalm 110, verse 1, is, is a Hebrew word, Yahweh. The second Lord in that verse is the Hebrew word Adonai. The idea in that verse is this. The Lord, in other words, Yahweh, said to my, uh, talking about David's Lord, David's Adonai. In other words, David addresses the Messiah as his Lord. The, The implication is clear. The Messiah is to be a man 
but he is to be more than a man. He is to be God as well. Jesus is, is very clearly declaring the deity of the Messiah here. Well, when David, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies into a footstool, he was placing the Messiah in a position of authority that was co-equal with the Almighty God. The word sit in that, in that verse speaks of a continuous sitting. God will elevate the Messiah to a place of equal exaltation with himself. The Messiah must be God because he will be in a position of absolute equality with God in his honor, in his power, in his glory. The, the clear implication of this can be seen in what Jesus said next. He said, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? How is he his son? In that society, a father would never call his son Lord. A father never rendered that kind of honor to a child. Children were considered property and never superior to their fathers. Yet David looks at this one who is to be his son, and David calls him Lord. This is a declaration that the Messiah is to be more than a man. He is to be a God-man. When the Jews heard this, they were speechless. They were left speechless. They had no answer. This unlearned carpenter had put them to shame in this very area where they were supposed to be experts. Jesus had interpreted the scriptures in, in an accurate, clear way that could never be refuted. Well, when these Jews did not, well, what these Jews did not want to see, and much less acknowledge was that Jesus was clearly claiming to be the Messiah. In fact, he had proven his identity time and time again. As you comb through um, the Gospels, you will see that his triumphal entry in Jerusalem proved his identity. In Mark chapter 11, if you remember, verse 1 to 11, Jesus had arrived on that very day predicted by the prophet uh, he arrived in the precise way that the prophet Zechariah said the Messiah would come in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. This should have been proof enough for them. But not only was his triumphal entry the, 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 the proof of his identity, his words also proved his identity. Everyone who heard him speak were awestruck by what they uh, heard. In, in, in John chapter 7, verse 46, uh, when they listened to him, uh, uh, they, they, they would say, no one ever spoke like this man. And the reason for that we see in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Luke chapter 4, verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth and were saying, is not this the Joseph's son? Not only did his triumphal entry prove, that, prove his identity, and not only his words proved his identity, but his works proved his identity. Jesus had proved, had proven that he was the Messiah on many occasions. He, he met and exceeded every Old Testament prophecy that pre predicted that the, what the Messiah would do when he came. Jesus even exceeded the prophecies by raising 
the dead. Just for the record today, let me say that the Messiah was to be the son of David. According to the genealogies of both Matthew and, and Luke, Jesus was a direct descendant of David and was in line to be the next king of Israel. On a dozen occasions, Jesus was called the son of David by the common man. Jesus was the son of David. Jesus was a man. All the evidences in the Bible proves that. Let, let me just uh, uh, walk with you through some of them. First of all, he had a human mother in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. He had a human body uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 12. He looked like a man, John chapter 4, verse 9. He possessed flesh and blood, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He grew, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. He asked questions, Luke chapter 2, verse 26. He sweat drops of blood in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He suffered, First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. He bled, John 19, verse 34. He died, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. He was buried, Matthew 27, verse 59 to 60. While Jesus was a man, he was also God. When Jesus came into this world, he was God born as a man. That, that, that is the clear teaching of the word of God. Isn't that what John 1 verse 1 tells us? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The evidence from his life proves this too. He was all present when you look at John uh, 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 3 verse 13 he was an all present Lord John 3 verse 13 tells us no one has ascended into the heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man he was all powerful he was all powerful over disease he has all authority over disease over satan over demons over man over nature over sin over traditions over the sabbath over the temple over death itself whether it was physical death or spiritual death he was all powerful he is all knowing he knows everything at the same time equally he knew the inconsistencies of the crowds. He knew the problem of his disciples. He knew the whereabouts, if you remember in John 1 verse 48 of Nathaniel. He knew the history of the Samaritan woman in John 4 verse 29. He knew the wickedness of the scribes and the Pharisees as they came to him. He knew their hearts. He knew the nature of Judas. So he was not surprised by Judas. Not only is he all-present or all-powerful or all-knowing, he receives worship. He receives worship from the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6, he receives worship from the wise men. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11, he receives worship from a leper. Matthew 8 verse 2, he receives a worship from a Jewish ruler. Matthew 9 verse 18, from a heartbroken mother. In uh, Matthew 15, verse 25, from the mother of James and John, Matthew 20, verse 20, from the maniac 
of the Gedi, uh, 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 of Gadara and, and Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. From the man born blind in John chapter 9 verse 38. From Thomas himself when Thomas comes to him and he says, my Lord and my God in John 20 verse 28. He receives worship from the women at the empty tomb in Matthew 28 verse 9. He receives worship from his disciples in Matthew 14 verse 33. Not only does he receive worship, he forgives sin. He possesses all authority. He is the source of life himself. He is the creator of all things. He's the preserver of all things. He alone can meet all our needs. He receives our prayers. He is the final judge and he is both the Lord of glory and the King of kings. You see, the Lord Jesus proved who he was. He fulfilled every prophecy related to his coming as the Messiah. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He clearly, uh, he, he was clearly who he claimed to be. Yet the Jews received to accept him. They refused to acknowledge him for, for who he was. They received, they refused to acknowledge him as their Messiah. They rejected him. Those he came to did not receive him. John 1 verse 11. The the result of this rejection for Israel was their judgment as a nation. They refused to receive God's Messiah and God rejected them. Israel was given over to the Roman Empire and and that pagan government became, became the curse God used to punish them. So we see, first of all, the confrontation. As Jesus confronts them with this question and the implication of that question. Thirdly, we see the application. We are told in in verse 37 that the great throng, uh, we, we don't use that word anymore, do we? The great multitude, the great crowd had him gladly. They heard him Gladly. What they were most glad about was the fact that he put the scribes and the Pharisees in their place. They were pompous and arrogant, but Jesus shut them down and he shut them up. The common people loved that, but they didn't truly love Jesus. Before the week was over, these same people would follow in the steps of their leaders and they would also reject him as the Messiah. Israel had all the evidence, all the evidence they needed to believe on Jesus. They had all the Old Testament prophecies that he had fulfilled to the letter. They had the proof in the temple records that Jesus was a descendant of King David. And of course, they had checked this out for themselves. They had the evidence of changed lives all around them. There were people who had been, there were people who had been sick and were well. There were blind people who could see. There were deaf, pe- deaf people who could hear. There were demoniacs who had been delivered. And, and, and most amazing of all, there were a few people walking around who were dead before. Imagine. Oh, there goes Lazarus. Didn't we bury Lazarus last week? But here he is. There was evidence all around them. That, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That he is indeed the one who came. The religious Jews ignored all of that evidence. 
because Jesus was not like they imagined the Messiah to be. They were expecting someone like them. They were expecting a self-righteous religious man who would think and act like they did. And they were looking for a military man who would come and deliver them from Rome. Well, when Jesus showed up, he was none of those things, and they rejected him. For, for that rejection, they paid a terrible price. Consider this with, with me. We have far more evidence than they had. We have a completed Bible. We can read the Old and the New Testament, and we can see where the prophecies were both made and where they were fulfilled. We can look around us and see lives that have been changed by the amazing grace of God. We have every reason to believe that he is who he claims to be. Some have have believed that truth, and as a result, they were saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8. Forgiven of their sins, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Adopted into the family of God, Romans 8, verse 15. Changed by the power of God, 2 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And they are headed to heaven, John 14, verse 1 and 3. After they had believed with an uh, over, uh, they, 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 uh, you know, others have yet to believe with an overabundance of evidence before them. They, 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 they have a plethora of evidence, a multitude of, of proofs that Jesus is indeed who he claims to be. And yet they continue in their sins and their unbelief. These people will eventually face the consequences of their refusal to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and as Savior. One day, it may not be today, if they continue in that condition, it may be today, they will stand before Jesus and they will bow before him. They will not receive eternal salvation. They will receive eternal condemnation. Instead of hearing those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master. They will hear those terrible words, I never knew you. Get behind me. Friends, this is the question you face today. What have you done with Jesus? And as I said many times, What you do with Jesus in this life will determine what Jesus does with you in the afterlife. If you have never trusted Jesus for salvation, I invite you to come today so you can be saved. One day you will meet the Messiah. One day you will stand before him. You will see him in all of his glory. When that day comes, when that day comes and it will surely come, Will he be your savior or will he be your judge? It will all depend on what you do with him here. If you reject him, you will face him as your judge. If you receive him, you will face him as your savior. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, you are Lord. May our hearts be conquered May every rebel thought be brought down. 
may we truly acknowledge that you are Lord. And those who have not bowed the knee, may they not wait, Lord, until you come. May they bow it now and receive you now and enjoy fellowship with you now. I pray that you may work in their hearts, O Lord. I pray that this message and the rest that they had, if they have not bowed their knee to you, will not give them rest until they find their rest in you. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.